Good evening and welcome into the Lord's house once again. What a privilege it is to be able to open God's word and to hear from him once again as we gather and worship. Let us turn our hearts to him and, and be prayerful that he would speak to us this evening as he promises to be gathered with his people. As we come into worship, I'd ask you to stand as we're called to worship from John chapter 1 and John 3. We're looking at the coming of the Son of God in the flesh. And when John the Baptist is sent before Jesus, he is mindful that God's Savior comes and he is the one who fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And what he says in John 1.29 is interesting. He says, it says here, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as he is speaking of him, if you Chapters later, we read that John's testimony is this, he must increase, but I must decrease. Tonight, that is our prayer, that we would see Jesus, that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory, in spite of, or in in the midst of his humanity, in the midst of his uh, uh, sharing our likeness, that in that, we might see God's plan of redemption for us. Congregation, in whom is your help? I greet you this evening, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals as we sing together number 210. O God, we praise thee. Number 210, we'll sing those six stanzas.
Tonight our psalm selection comes from Psalm 51, familiar psalm to us, psalm of penitence, a psalm of crying out to God for forgiveness. It is fitting that it comes tonight as we look at the depth of our need and as we turn later to God's provision in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see is the context of Psalm 51 is that the context of Jesus or of David committing adultery with Bathsheba. And if we look back in the Old Testament, what we see is in the Mosaic Law, there is no forgiveness for adultery. In Leviticus, we read that the man who commits adultery must die. There is no forgiveness for murder by the one who who murders by man shall he too be murdered. We don't see a hope in the law in these great sins. So we have to understand the, the, the intensity behind the pinning of this psalm. As David writes it, he, he's, he's acknowledging the greatness of his sin. He sees just how helpless he is in himself. And he's, he's testifying to that through this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit talking about a need for cleansing, a need uh, not only for cleansing, but to be made new, that he would be able to, in the midst of his, of his woe, uh, rejoice in God. And then he sees not only this, this personal confession, which we all must make before our God, but he sees a corporate responsibility there in verses 13 uh, through to verse 17, when he says, I, I want to speak to transgressors. And, and speak of the greatness of your forgiving love. He knows that forgiveness, or he's, he's discerning that, and he wants to share it. And tonight, as we think about the incarnation and Christ's coming, we want to share that good news of a Savior who has come uh, to deliver sinners from their sins. That includes us. It's not just others, but we ourselves. And we uh, see the psalm closing with a, a prayer for Zion, for the people of God, that God would build up the church. Uh, and so when we are forgiven, what we see here is uh, David recognizes that it will result in a giving of, uh, uh, of sacrifice, of, of sacrifice of praise to God. But isn't when we're saved by grace that, well, now we just can go and, and sin and, and there's nothing for us to offer Indeed, we offer our lives. So let's, let's listen for that as we hear together God's word, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you, You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And bulls will be offered on your altar. Our hope is resting upon God's mercy. When God is asked by, or when Moses asks the Lord, show me your glory, the Lord says, I am Lord, merciful and gracious. And that is what we remember. And that is the reason we can come to him. And the reason that we can call all people to him. We're no better. We're no closer to God than any other. We're brought near by his grace and mercy through the work of the Spirit, working faith in us in Jesus Christ, such that we can have confidence that as we come in him, we find forgiveness and we can know him as Father. Let's respond with number 51C in our hymnals. Number 51C, God be merciful to me. This is our, this is our plea, and in today's church, we perhaps think it's only about praise, always praise, but there is a place for uh, uh, repentance and, and to ask the Lord to be gracious and to remove sin far from us. And that is a reminder to us of God's goodness in doing so. Let's sing the first five stanzas, the first five stanzas of 51C.
Let's turn to the Lord now in time of congregational prayer. Father, as we come again this evening to you, we thank you for this day of rest and refreshment, wherein you remind us of your great love and relentless work to redeem. You are a God who is gracious to renew, a God who is faithful to your covenant to forgive for the sake of your Son. We see ourselves exposed in the pages of Scripture in the saints of old, objects of your redeeming love, those that need to be rescued. You rescue us from ourselves, and we are then to respond with rejoicing in your plan of salvation. Sin brings us low, and there are times when it is hard for for us to open our lips in praise, but we ask along with the psalmist that you would open our lips, that we might sing your praises, that we might tell others of your great forgiving plan, your plan of salvation, your great forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. We say along with the angels of old, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to all who are objects of his redemption. Tonight as we look at the coming of your son and his coming in the flesh, we worship you and we adore you and we worship your son and adore him, the anointed one, who has in every way satisfied your just demands, that we might come with confidence into your presence, asking asking for you to help us in time of need. We thank you, Father, for your rich grace and mercy, for your compassion. You know our frailties. You remember that we are dust. You know that we are needful, that each day we're wrestling with our own hearts, not just as a result of the the challenges outside of us, but inside of us. Make us anew, O Lord. Give us hearts for you. We thank you for that spiritual healing, that spiritual renewal. And we pray, we, we give thanks too for physical healing, for good reports that you give to us. We're thankful that Ryan Terpster has received good report from Mayo Clinic. We ask, O Lord, that you would continue to give him uh, your healing mercies. We continue to pray for John and Linda Sorok. We thank you that Linda is improving. We pray for John as he now must wait uh, longer for his visit with the doctors. Grant him patience. Grant him the ability to see that your power is made perfect in weakness. And that is what we all must acknowledge in times of strength, we don't often reflect upon your power and our need of your power. But in the sufferings of those around us, remind us that it is your strength alone that keeps us. It is your powerful right hand that redeems us. It is your spirit that animates us to do what is right and to live in that way that we are called to live. So we ask, Lord, that you would send your spirit in rich measure to us tonight as we hear your word, as it is open, as we consider that very familiar doctrine of the incarnation of the two natures of Christ and the mystery seen there. May we, yet by faith, rejoice in that perfect provision in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name. 
Amen. Number 300 is the song that we're going to sing as we open God's word in a few moments. Come thou long expected Jesus born to set thy people free. Yes, we can sing this in July. That's okay. Talking about the incarnation, Christ coming in the flesh. And I want us to, uh, to do that. The four stanzas. And I want us to sing stanza three a cappella. We'll sing stanza three without the organ. Let's stand to sing the four stanzas, number 300.
Let's turn in our back of our hymnals to page 861 as we look at Articles 17 through 19 in the Belgian Confession. It's page 861. And then turning in God's Word to Matthew chapter 1. Page 807 in the Bibles there in front of you. Familiar story concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We'll be working our way through those articles of the Belgian Confession throughout the sermon. We're not going to read them all up front, so just keep your hymnals out and and follow along. But let's begin by turning our attention to Matthew chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18 as we read God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. You may keep your Bibles open as we'll be looking at other passages too, which show us, confirm for us the the humanity, the human nature of of Christ. We'll be looking at those as we work through sermon tonight. Dear people of God, if you've watched the news over the past weeks, you've heard heard about the efforts to rescue a sub that went down near the Titanic. And I, I must confess, I was caught up in the drama. I wanted to know, will they rescue this crew of five and this submersible? How is this going to happen? And I'm no deep sea rescue expert, so I'm doing my research. Well, how far, how deep can a Navy sub go? And uh, how, how long can they last in a submersible like that? Uh, looked at what the Coast Guard had. No, I didn't take a ton of time. I did work on sermons, too, in the midst of this. But what what... What material, what, what equipment did the Coast Guard have to rescue these individuals? Was there any hope? And uh, just thinking about this, they started talking about how they were searching an area the size of the state of Connecticut. And I, I just thought, wow, this, this doesn't look good. This, this isn't uh, very hopeful. And uh, looked into the weather conditions in the Atlantic, you know, is that, is that favorable? How is that going to affect this potential rescue? And you just kept saying, is it, is it even possible? Is it, is it conceivable? Well, tonight we're talking about rescue. And a lot of those questions ought to come to our mind when we consider man's condition and whether or not it's possible for sinners to be rescued from death. After all, Scripture makes very clear the wages of sin is death, and we're under that curse. 
And God is the one who's spoken that curse. We have to ask ourselves the question, how deep can God go? Can he reach us? Is he able to reach us? Does he have the resources he needs? Can he find us? Does he know where we are in our sin, in the depth of our sin? That's what we're talking about when we look at redemption. We're talking about rescue. Is our sinful condition too much? Does it lower the possibility of rescue or does it make it impossible? What is unthinkable is that we, we don't want to be rescued. That's what the catechism, or that's what the confession says. Let's look at it together. Article 17, as sinners, we flee from God's holy presence. We flee from the one who would rescue us. That is the condition that we are in. That's the unbelievable condition that we're in. But praise God, he seeks us out. Listen to Article 17. We believe, this on the recovery of fallen man, we believe that our good God, by his marvelous wisdom and goodness, seeing that man has plunged himself in this manner, that is, in willful disobedience, into both physical and spiritual death, and made himself completely miserable, this good God set out to find him. Though man, trembling all over, was fleeing from him. That's the reality of it. And he comforted him, that is mankind, promising to give him his son, born of a woman, to crush the head of the serpent and to make him blessed. Now, we talk a bit about the unthinkable reality that we're fleeing from God, that we we're constantly trying to, to, to live apart from him or to think of, of ways that we don't have to deal with him. And, and the big question that has come today that man deflects from, from this reality of his condition is he says, well, it's my identity that I'm most concerned about. And, and I, I think I, I, to, in order for, my, for, for me to really uh, fulfill myself, I, I have to, to just discern my own path and and so I need to run from God, the creator. I need to run from him and, and find myself. And that just goes to show that we have a, a, a sense of, of meaning. We, we know there's, there, there's, there's got to be some us there, some, some reality. And, and yet the problem is we're looking in all the wrong places and we won't find rescue in searching our own hearts We've moved from the question, what has God said about us and our need and the reason of our misery to why am I restless and how can I deliver myself from this restlessness? Well, our identity is clear. We are those made in the image of God, called to be children of God, objects of his mercy to serve the glory of our heavenly father god tells us this in his word he doesn't leave us wondering what is who are you what are what are you made for well that's where we look that's where we find the answer to these questions well who am i god seeks us out god speaks to us his word searches our hearts it it pierces joints and marrow is how the writer of hebrews says it's living and active we 
We need to open it and to listen. And because we struggle to live under God's Word, that is all of us, not just, not just unbelievers, but all of us, we, we struggle with this clear sense of our need. What are some, of, I was trying to think this week, what are some of the ways that we, that, that, that we see this manifest itself in the world? Well, we, we know that we, we're here for a purpose. Some people say, well, well, there's no purpose. We're all here just by chance. And so, but we all take up causes. <laughs> we're all fighting for something, justice or climate or uh, uh, the right to be who I want to be. We're, we're, we have causes because we, we want to we matter. We want others to we want others to follow our cause, and we want to lead the charge because that makes us look important. We have 13-year-olds, probably she's now 17, 18, telling us that we're the problem and, and the climate is suffering as a result of this. And, and, and that's, her, that's what she's grabbed onto. That's her sense of purpose. She's going to tell the world that we need to eat less and drive less and all of these other things. And what is that but, but a, a worship of something? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trying to find purpose, and it's a worship of self. This is what I see as my calling, and I'm going to matter because I'm, I'm going to, to make this the ultimate thing. This thing that I'm attached to is now ultimate, climate care. Or, as I've said, the other categories that we can use. What, that, brothers and sisters, what that is... It's, it's trying to establish our, our sense of, I'm doing what is right. I am, I am what's right with this world. And it's not wrestling with the fact that, that, that we're at enmity with the world. We're at enmity with God. And we have to recognize this. And what we need to recognize in the midst of our anxiety and the pursuit of all of our of our righteous acts is is that that God must rescue us we what did the psalmist say in psalm 51 i'm just thinking of this what did the psalmist say in in, in psalm 51 in verse 13 he said this he said in your rescue i now want to tell others about that rescue I want to call transgressors to your way. He says, I'm not telling people that I am, look at what I did to save myself. He's saying, I will tell of your goodness, O Lord. We, we need to point to, to God and to his goodness. I will teach transgressors your ways. Not my goodness, but uh, and, and not that I'm somehow made myself better, but we're all transgressors together that, that need to be rescued from ourselves. God does this. He goes to great depths to save humanity. He knows where we are. Our spiritual condition does not make it impossible for him to rescue us, for he has all power and perfect resource for rescue. And he offers redemption to us full and free. He says, I simply ask, I simply call you to Die to yourself, as we heard this morning, to, to die to yourself and to come to me, to return to me, to repent. Listen, how he, listen to how he provides for us. Article 18, next article there in the Belgic Confession, the Incarnation. Our good God sets out to find sinners. 
And he comforts us and promises us of life in his son. So then we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the early fathers. And we could see that through the Old Testament, through Genesis, uh, which we've been looking at, on through to the days of Christ's coming. And we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had, he had made to the early fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets when he sent his only and eternal son into the world at the time set by him. The son took the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming a real human nature with all its weaknesses except for sin. Being conceived in the womb of the blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. And he not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul in order that he might be a real human being. For since the soul had been lost as well as the body, he had to assume them both to save them both together. Therefore, we confess against the heresy of those who deny that Christ assumed human flesh from his mother. We confess that he shared the very flesh and blood of children, that he is fruit of the loins of David according to the flesh, that he was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, that he is the fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary, that he is born of a woman that he is the seed of David, that he is a shoot from the root of Jesse, that he is the offspring of Judah, having descended from the Jews according to the flesh, from the seed of Abraham. For he assumed Abraham's seed and was made like his brothers except for sin. In this way, he is truly our Emmanuel, that is, God with us. God has fulfilled his promise. The goodness of God is front and center in redemption. He says, this is what you need, and I I am providing it for you perfectly. He rescues doomed sinners. He preserves the truth in his word, though Satan would seek to destroy it. He comes to us through his word to comfort, to promise to us that one can be rescued from sin and death and hell. He has provided one to cover our sins and reconcile us to him. God's very clear that all of sin and are under condemnation for sin, Romans 6.23. Therefore, God sent his Son to endure all suffering and all temptation, to be fully tested as we are, to endure the test without sin, and to be made that perfect sacrifice for sin. We're there, the bottom of the ocean, and God says, I'm sending forth my Son. And there is a cheer, for that is... The means of rescue. God's son. The need for satisfaction of God's righteousness is seen from the beginning. See it in Genesis chapter 3 already. And then throughout the Old Testament, the prophets longed to know how these prophecies that they made would be fulfilled. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, concerning the salvation of which I've just spoken, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They were looking for this. How is this going to be fulfilled? As the church organized after Christ's ascension, it looked closely at the teachings about the Messiah in the Old Testament and in light of Christ's teaching, he needed to be, the fact that he needed to be human was clear. Have flesh and blood as we have. 
Now, some denied that Christ was flesh of the flesh. We see that throughout church history. I'm not going to look at all of those camps, those groups, but they spoke of the fact that God could not take on flesh. Others said that Jesus only appeared to be human. In the early 20th century, the church tried to accommodate Scripture to man's sensibilities, and then this on the other side. Now, follow me here. Now I'm talking about divinity, but it will come back in a moment. They wanted to deny uh, his divinity. They said, no, he's not. he wasn't really God. He was simply a man. And then the response to this teaching was, oh, no, no, no. He is very much divine. To the point where there's almost an exclusion of his, a denial of his divinity. It was so strong, that the pushback was so strong that, that there was a denial almost of his humanity. But the Bible teaches us that God, Jesus was God and man. Listen to Article 19 now, next article in the Belgic Confession. The two natures of Christ. We believe that by being thus conceived, that is, by the Holy Spirit, the person of the Son has been inseparably united and joined together with human nature in such a way that there are not two sons of God, nor two persons, but two natures united in a single person, with each nature retaining its own distinct properties. Thus, his divine nature has always remained uncreated, without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth. His human nature has not lost its properties, but continues to have those of a creature. It has a beginning of days, it is of a finite nature, and retains all that belongs to a real body. And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it immortality, that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature, for our salvation and resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. But these two natures are so united together in one person that they are not even separated by his death. So then, what he committed to his father when he died was a real human spirit which left his body. But meanwhile, his divine nature remained united with his human nature, even when he was lying in the grave. And his deity never ceased to be in him, just as it was in him when he was a little child, though for a while it did not show itself as such. These are the reasons why we confess him to be true God and true man. True God in order to conquer death by his power. And true man, that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh. Jesus was put this way by one of the early church fathers. Jesus remained what he was, namely God, and was made what he had not been, that is, human. Well, what are some of the basic affirmations surrounding the humanity of the Son of God, namely our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? The reality of the incarnation is seen throughout the New Testament. I just want to look at some of those verses with you. John 8, verse 40. Our Lord was a true man. He called himself a man. John 8, verse 40, when he's speaking with the Jews, he says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. They were confronting him. But now you seek to kill me. Note this, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. He acknowledges himself as Man, son of man, is a title that he often takes to himself. Indeed, the most numerous in his delineation of himself, the son of man. Others called him a man as well. Look at Acts 2.22, or you can listen. Acts 2.22, Peter speaking there, and he says, 
To the crowd, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus was delivered up. And he goes on. Then Romans 5 and verse 15, Paul acknowledges this as he's speaking of, of Jesus. Romans 5, 15. He says, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And then 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty one, Paul again, speaking of Christ and his humanity, says this, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead namely through Christ. And then we see in our passage, uh, if we were to look before the verses we read tonight, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy, which records the names of Jesus' human ancestors. We see that he's the seed of Abraham. Genesis 3.16 tells us. We see his family line was that of the tribe of Judah in the house of David, Romans 1, Hebrews 7, and Revelation 5. He was born of a woman, Galatians 4. He's born in Bethlehem, the oldest child of Joseph and Mary, and he had brothers, as we read in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, and Galatians 1, 19. He grew in wisdom and stature, just as other children did, be, being subject to the ordinary laws of human development, Luke 2 tells us. Then in Hebrews chapter 2, we read this, that he became like us because it was necessary for Salvation. We'll come back to this, but I want to introduce it now. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. In verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The whole chapter of chapter 2 really speaks of, of his humanity, affirming that. He experienced hunger. He experienced uh, a weariness. He experienced agony and thirst and pain and death. Our confessions capture the teaching of the Bible when the Belgic explains that he truly took on that human nature. I refer you back to Article 18 again in the middle there. He took the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming, assuming a real human nature with all its weaknesses except for sin. Being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Assuming human nature as far as the body, uh, he not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul. It goes on to articulate what the scriptures teach. And why do we study this truth? Why do we, why do we look at this? It's not so that we might just gain more information so that we can, we can uh, look smart and, 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 and say much about Jesus. That, that's, then we are of all to be the most pitied. If, we, if all we look at this for is, is Jesus as, as a trivial, a, a fact for trivia, while we know about Jesus, these are all the facts about him, we're to be pitied. We are to acknowledge that In this is the wisdom of God, the power of God, unto salvation of those who believe. That this was God's provision. J.I. Packer says, doctrine must lead to doxology. The study of Christ's humanity should cause us to praise and to worship our God for that great wisdom displayed in our redemption. 
for the love that he shows to us in a way that does not sacrifice his justice. It should lead us to worship God and acknowledge him as greater than any other. I believe in Jesus Christ as our perfect Savior. He came. Christ came to save humanity. We must include ourselves in this. We, we point people not to ourselves. Well, you know, I mean, we are churchgoers, and so if you become churchgoers like us, then you can have the confidence. That's not where we point people. We point people to Christ. He is our glory. We boast in the cross, as Paul says in Galatians. We boast in him. And that means that, that salvation is open to whoever will come. We read in the book of Revelation. We point people to Christ. He says, we all need this. I was reminded of this this week in, in thinking of the call of, of, of Levi, the tax collector. Look at, look at Luke 5. Luke 5 and verse 27, where Jesus comes to his home. He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is he saying there? He's saying, you too must recognize yourself as sick unto death. You too must acknowledge that you need me. You're no better than Levi. You're no better than this tax collector. It is only those who recognize themselves as sinners who will cry out for forgiveness and for God's help. He says that to all of us. Well, Paul writes, Jesus was a man. He says, this is so very important. Listen to, uh, listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We come into the necessity of the, uh, of this, of the incarnation. 1 Timothy 2. Paul says this. He is the man between God and man. The man. Behold the man, Pilate says. Behold the second Adam who has kept covenant, the one who is uh, the, the reconciler between God and man. And then what is Paul saying in this context? I want us to read the context of, of this verse, verse 5. He says, that then means salvation is open to whomever. And so we are to pray for all men, all people. Listen to what he says. First of all, Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then here's, here's where the incarnation comes in. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, Amen. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is, this is what makes it, makes it very clear to us that we're all on the same, the same ground before the cross. It's not, well, here's the, here's the lifetime churchgoer, and here's, the, here, here's, here's those kings and those rulers that, that just don't get it. It's, it's that we all 
are there before the cross and all in need of a Savior. And we pray for ourselves and for others. For God has transformed our hearts and we want people to come to hear of Christ to be saved. For he is the only hope of rescue. Well, I had in mind to review all of the, the, the verses, or at least some of the verses. Uh, I don't want to do that, I, but I do want us to listen to what the Heidelberg Catechism says regarding the, uh, the incarnation in question and answers 35 and 36. Listen to what it says here. What does it mean that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature, so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers in all things except for sin. And all the verses are there for you to to look at this week, for you to, to consider and to ponder. Connection is made again and again with God's word that a redeemer was to come and he would satisfy all righteousness. Children, you know about the concept of ineligibility, don't you? You play sports and you think, or you've maybe heard of uh, uh, the referee saying, nope, that player is ineligible. Too many players on the field, or that player is ineligible for another reason. Well, what we're talking about here is, in, in one sense, is eligibility. Who is, who is allowed to be this redeemer? Who is allowed to be the go-between between God and man? It is Christ Jesus. It is the Lord Jesus he is able. No person, no angel, no one other than Jesus is eligible to deliver us from sin. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus as David's true descendant. That in the line of, of David, that promise that he gives from Psalm 132, the Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. Referring to Christ, the one who takes that eternal throne. Matthew prefaces Uh, His account of Jesus' birth with a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. What? The son of David, the son of Abraham. There's that continuity that we don't want to miss. Jesus is of the same family as those whom he saves and makes holy. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We we touched on that already, Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children Jesus saves... Now, flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, Hebrews 2.14. In fact, he had to be made like them in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, Hebrews 2.17. Jesus' humanity was so genuine that he himself suffered when he was tempted. Therefore, he is able to help those who are being tempted, verse 18. Then question and answer 36 of the catechism says this, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator, and in God's sight, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin, that go-between, covers my sin in which I was conceived. To be able to be a mediator who represents sinners before a just and holy God, he needed to be sinless. Because he's without sin, he has access to the throne of God. He's gone into heaven itself by means of his own blood to secure for us eternal redemption. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, 12. Does the incarnation matter? It most certainly does. 
It's absolutely necessary. It's not an insignificant teaching or some small bit of trivia. The truth reiterates the gospel message. God saves a helpless humanity. He knows our need. He sees that we're in the depths of sin, unable to rescue ourselves. And he sends his son to rescue. Well, I thought about the efforts of those who sought to rescue the sub, a submersible in relation to this doctrine. And this is where my, these are where my thoughts went. I, I, there was a big brouhaha made about the fact, well, we may not be able to get down there ourselves, but we have the technology to do this. We have, we have our own methods, our own means by which to save these people. And it, in, in a certain sense, and I don't want you to misunderstand, but in a certain sense, that's how we look at things. We think, well, we don't need anybody else. We'll trust in ourselves for rescue. We'll, we'll, we'll do it ourselves. And there's, not, there's nothing wrong with the sense of, of, of seeing a, a man's plight and wanting to rescue. But what is, what is wrong is that we think any and every problem can be solved by us, ourselves. And when we see that we're unable to do certain things, we ought to humbly acknowledge that we are dependent upon God. And so little of that is seen today. When you ask people, what is your greatest need? How can you be, how can you be rescued, saved from sin? They'll look at you like, huh, I don't even know. Rescue, saved from sin? That, that vocabulary is, so, so, is, is fading so quickly that people don't even think in those terms today. They have a hard time. Well, sin and, and alienation, I, I don't understand. I was thinking about that too this, this week. And how do you talk to somebody who rejects the idea that they're sinners and that they are at odds with God? Well, you begin with the idea that things are not right in the world, and they, they know that, and that's why they have these causes. To come back to what I said earlier, they have these causes. They want to correct things. They know there's something not right, and they're going to set it right themselves. And that's, that's where you can begin to talk with them and say, well, what's not right? And where do those concepts of, let's say, justice come from? Who's justice? What justice? Why, how do you know that there's alienation between these people? Why do you have these categories? And as you talk with them, you say, it's because we're made in the image of God that we understand that all is not right with the world. We have a moral category. We, we're not like animals. We, we think and we say, there's something not good here. Something's not right. And that's, that's in all of us, no matter how depraved. And, and, and it's not always, it's often suppressed, but it's, but it's there. So the problems that we have go back to our being at odds with God. We come into the world at enmity with God. We need rescue. We need his rescue. As we heard in Psalm 51, we need to be cleansed, to be resurrected from the depths, and he provides that way. Life, eternal life, is not possible with man, but it is with God. For his son has won the victory over death. 
and offers life to all who believe in him. When we think that we can rescue ourselves, that's when we are in the deepest woe, the deepest of danger. What we need to recognize humbly is that we cannot rescue ourselves. The only way we can be rescued is by God. He has provided the way our attempts will fail. The only one who is both God and uh, the only one who can rescue is one who is both God and man. Therefore, our hope for rescue, our hope for life is in Christ alone. That's our message. It's not to put us at odds with others who are not following him. It's to welcome them to follow him along with us. May God help us to do that this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we see in your deliverer a perfect substitute, one who has stood in our place, your son, We see in you, Lord Jesus, one who's willing to serve and to sacrifice. And we are to be willing to serve and to sacrifice for those around us, in our families, in our society, such that we're not seen as those at odds with the world in in the sense of, of we're somehow better, but merely to explain to them why we live the way we do and call others to join us to say, you may come. There is path to life. God has sent his own son as a man to rescue humanity. Lord, help us to be ready to open our mouths in in praise of you and in testimony to your goodness. Not ashamed to speak of Christ. Give us love for the lost that we would have in our hearts the notion of rescue. As we have been rescued, may we call others to Christ that they too might be rescued. For in him there is sufficient power, a sufficient sacrifice for life. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We respond with number 317. Who is this child? What child is this that Mary laid to rest? It is the Son, the very Son of God, Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, that is praise, the babe, the Son of Mary. Let's sing those three stanzas as we stand to sing number 317.
Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we do thank you for that message that we have to proclaim, to tell one another and to tell the next generation. Christ has been born, that your Son has come, and that he has been crucified, that he has died, that he has been buried, and that he is now raised to life and ascended in heaven and is seated at your right hand, interceding for us. We pray for the work of Providence Christian Academy as it seeks to bring that message to all of life, to all aspects of life, with those teachers as they instruct and the students as they learn, that there would be desire to hear about Jesus, that he would become more to all of them, to all to us. We pray that you would hear us now as we offer this prayer with our financial offerings. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to confess our faith together using the words of the Nicene Creed, speaking of our great God and his plan of redemption for us. We answer the question, Christian, what is it that you believe with our confession? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man." and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. 
whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead in the life of the world to come. Amen. In a moment, we'll receive the God's parting blessing. I'm going to ask the organist to spring something on you here. Let's do number 567, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. Can you play that, or do you want to just give us the pitch and we do it? We can do it a cappella, too. Well, if you can play it, then we'll do that. Let's receive God's parting blessing, and then we're going to sing number 567, familiar. Praise God, of whom all blessings flow. Hear this parting blessing. And the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.